It's difficult to know where to begin, isn't it, on a day like today? We, if you're anything like me, held out hope during the past week that the last-ditch diplomatic efforts would pay some dividend. We kind of wondered whether we'd hear it was all some kind of Cold War-type bluff that Putin actually never intended to do what we now know he has done. But of course, then we woke on Thursday, didn't we, in the morning to hear that appalling news that Russia is invading Ukraine. What are we to make of these type of events as Christians? How should we face up to what is devastating news, even for us here, miles away from it? None of us is very far from the reality of it and the impact of it. How should we respond? How should we deal with our fears, our anxieties, our grief, our sadness, our helplessness to do anything that seems useful? Well, I've wrestled with this this week. How do we respond? What do we say? And I just hope and pray that as we look at this glorious passage in John's Gospel this morning, that we would all be able to do at least one thing, which is to lift our eyes out of the doom and the gloom to the Lord Jesus. To focus on him to hear him speak into our hearts and then to view the scenario that we're all faced with through the perspective of those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, those who are eternally in his hands, gripped by him. So as we begin, let me pray. Gracious Father, we come to you with heavy hearts at the situation that's happening in Ukraine. We come to you with a sense of helplessness and all kinds of anxieties. And Lord, we have those too related to other aspects of our life, perhaps those that are the closer to home. Father, as we look at this glorious passage in the Gospel of John, would you please, in your kindness and mercy, Lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus. Would you enable us to meet with him afresh, or perhaps even to meet with him for the first time, that our, our faith may be strengthened, that our hearts may be quickened with the joy and the love of the Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, you, if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember that we uh, picked up our series in John, and uh, we were looking at that uh, promise of life to the full. Other translations sometimes talk about abundant life or life in all its fullness. That promise came after Jesus had challenged the Pharisees, the false teachers. You may remember that they were those that were, rather than being good to the sheep, in the sheepfold, they were leading the sheep astray. They were leading people away from true life in all its fullness. They were spiritual thieves and robbers, leading people to destruction. 
And we saw them contrasted with Jesus, the gate, through whom they, as his sheep and we, can enter eternal life. Life to the full. And in today's passage, we get to discover more about Jesus, the giver of that life. He says, doesn't he, at the beginning, I am the good shepherd. Not just any old shepherd, the good shepherd. And we get to see what life to the full really looks like for those who have entered through the gate. And we get to see why and how we can trust him completely. So there's just three things that I want us to look at. Um, The second one is the bulk of time that we're going to be considering. But firstly, let's look at the good shepherd. In what way is he good? Verses 11 to 14 in the passage. Firstly, and negatively, we see in verses 12 to 13, he isn't like the hired hand who doesn't care, who puts himself first. A coward running away when attacks come. And he runs away, why? Because he doesn't care one iota for the sheep. Instead, in verse 11, we meet Jesus. He is the good shepherd. Because he gives himself totally for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. Of course, the analogy of the good shepherd laying down his life to protect the sheep speaks of Jesus laying down his life on the cross for us, his sheep. Why would he do that? Well, because he is not like the hired hand who cares nothing for the sheep. In verse 13, he's nothing like the Pharisees who we saw last week lead people away from the truth, thieves and robbers. He's nothing like those who came to steal and kill and destroy, as you can see in verse 10. No, the hired hand was the bad shepherd, but Jesus is the good shepherd. What evidence do we actually have for that? It's right there in our passage. He lays down his life for the sheep. Of course, as we know, Jesus didn't stay dead. We see twice in verse 17 and 18 that he says he lays down his life to take it up again. He knows that his death will be followed by his resurrection, his defeating of death. Not just on the first Good Friday, but for all eternity. It's this, this is Jesus. Not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd. Laying down his life so that I and you can have life to the full. As John Piper puts it, abandoning his life to give abundance in ours. But here's a key question, and this is our main point this morning. The good shepherd, can we trust him? Can we trust him? 
there's an old saying that you've probably come across at some point or other. If it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And there's lots of very plausible con men out there, aren't there? Whether they send you a text or an email or they telephone you and try to hassle you and say, look, I've got this wonderful offer. Because they want to prey on your anxieties or insecurities or your desire for a bargain, whatever it is, to try and empty your bank account of your money into their bank account. And we're often drawn by those offers. Our eye catches them. You can get this car for only £2.50. You can win this cruise and it'll cost you next to nothing. So when the good shepherd says that we can have life to the full, isn't that just too good to be true? Why should we trust him? What motive does the good shepherd have to care so much that he should want us to have life to the full? Are his motives good or are they dishonest? Is it all too good to be true? Well, in verses 14 to 18, we get a glimpse of why the good shepherd cares so deeply for his sheep. And we get to see why we can absolutely trust him. Have a look, would you, in your Bibles. I think uh, it was page, if you closed it up already, it'd be worth opening it back to page 1076, John chapter 10. In verses 14 to 18, we discover that the sheep are not just any old sheep, but they are his sheep. Verse 14, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is saying here, I know you and you know me in just the same way that God the Father knows me and I know God the Father. If you like, as the father-son relationship, so the shepherd-sheep relationship. And how do we know that he loves the sheep? We've said it already, haven't we? Because he lays down his life for the sheep only to take it up again. To the end that they, we, may have life and life to the full. I wonder what life to the full uh, means for you today. It's a big topic in our media, isn't it? I don't know whether you've heard phrases like this, you only get one life, max it out, Life isn't a rehearsal, live it today. It's a big theme that now is the time to be doing the good stuff. I don't know whether you saw the film some, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago or something called The Bucket List. Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson as two fairly cantankerous and terminally ill old men who decide that rather than sitting in their home until they just peter out... They're going to live life. They're going to achieve this amazing bucket list, i.e. a list of exciting and dramatic things to do before you kick the bucket. It's a funny film and at times poignant as they come to terms with what really matters in life. 
And I wonder what will be on your bucket list. Swimming with dolphins, touring the world, a wonderful nails and facial at the spa day. Be the star in one of those Red Bull adrenaline films where people jump off in flying suits and do extraordinary things. Fly into space, I don't know. Of course, there'd be nothing wrong in doing some of those activities and enjoying them. But did you notice in uh, chapter 10, verse 10, what Jesus didn't say? I have come that they may complete the most incredible bucket list. Of course he didn't say that, did he? Because actually that isn't life to the full. He came, he says, that they may have life to the full. So for the Christian, having life to the full doesn't just mean doing those exciting things, whatever the big thing for you would be. For the Christian, having life to the full means living every moment of every day, knowing that you are freed from the tyranny of sin in your life and brought into eternal life with Christ. Now that wonderful truth ought to change our perspective and shape everything we do as we live our lives today. We know too well, don't we, in this church family, the pain of grief and loss that tells us that we as Christians aren't exempt from all those difficulties and sadnesses that life brings our way. The suffering and death that still blights the world. But we can face those things with a different confidence and a different perspective. We can face those things as those for whom this physical life is only a minuscule fragment of our eternity with Christ. Just yesterday I read a, a very moving article which I think is an example of somebody who gets that perspective. Vasil Ostryi, a pastor of Irpin Bible Church in Kiev in Ukraine confronted with troops within 30 miles or so, I think, of where his church is. Having a discussion with his family. He's married, he has four daughters, the oldest is age 16. And he said this, we have decided to stay, both as a family and as a church. And while the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unspeakable hope of Christ and his gospel. That's why we should be praying for Ukraine as we did earlier and as we will later, I'm sure. You see, he knows what life to the full means, doesn't he? It's to do with his security in Christ. And so life to the full for us here in Banbury today isn't just about having fun with whatever that is, although having fun is a good thing. Life to the full doesn't stop when our bodies are buried or cremated. But it starts when we enter through Jesus the gate into his sheepfold. And it lasts for all eternity. 
And verse 16, if you have a look down in your Bibles, makes it clear that this eternal life to the full isn't limited to the Jews who Jesus was addressing directly in this passage. You see, Jesus came as the good shepherd not only to the Jews. He came to be our good shepherd too. To all people. And notice the wording that he uses in verse 16. Just at the bottom there of page 1076. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I have. Not when they follow me I will have other sheep. No, Jesus has other sheep, but not because the sheep came to him. I think that's clear because he says, I must bring them also. You might remember last week in verse 3, we saw how Jesus called his own sheep. In other words, before he calls them, they are his own. So how did Jesus come to have these other sheep that he must bring into the sheepfold? A verse in John 17, uh, uh, verse 6, helps us to, to see this. Jesus, in praying to his Father, said this, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, he says to the Father. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. In other words, one of the glorious mysteries of God is that those other sheep, you and me, already belong to God the Father, and he gave them to the Son. That's why he must bring them into the sheepfold. The, the point is this. The initiative is all with Jesus. It's not Jesus saying, oh, I'll bring Steve into the sheepfold because he's following me. Jesus acts. Jesus calls his sheep. We simply hear his call and trust him. As John Piper puts it, believing doesn't make you part of his flock. Being part of his flock enables you to believe. And although this might sound a little bit complicated, I hope not too much, but this isn't some kind of fancy shuffling of a theological card pack. It's a vital truth. It means that my salvation, my eternal security with Christ, doesn't depend on me and what I do. It all depends on his mercy, on him who in verse 16 must bring me, must bring you into his sheepfold, laying down his life for us. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, 7, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And notice, too, in verse 16, that Jesus says that as he brings these other sheep, they too will listen. That's how the church of Christ will grow. God speaks, sometimes through his preachers, sometimes through you, his witnesses, to who Jesus is, calling people to respond to him as the good shepherd. 
And as they listen to him, they're brought into his sheepfold. That's the reason for our security in Christ. That's the reason that we can view our anxieties about the current world situation with a different perspective. So briefly, what about verses 17 and 18? The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now that verse 17 is a bit tricky, I think. Um, it can't be suggesting, can it, that God the Father only loved Jesus because he was willing to lay down his life? Because that would make God's love conditional on something else. And that would be entirely contrary to the nature of God who in his very being is love. I found Spurgeon's uh, explanation of these, verse, these verses really helpful. He said this, in effect, Jesus is saying, I am about to die and after death to rise again. My doing so, however strange it may seem to you Pharisees, is the very thing which my Father in heaven approves and for which he specially loves me. You may remember those glorious words when Jesus was baptised and the heavens opened and a voice was heard, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You see, Jesus, the good shepherd, chose to lay down his life, he died, and then he took it up again, he rose from the dead and lives for all eternity. So death to take the punishment we deserve for our sin, resurrection overcoming the tyranny of death, so that in Christ we may have eternal life to the full. That's why we can trust the Good Shepherd. That's why we can be sure that we are eternally secure in him, that we can never be snatched away from his grasp. And that's a glorious truth. That's a glorious confidence when we face day after day, week after week, in all kinds of difficult, challenging situations, things that we find painful and hard. We can face them knowing that these painful things and these hard things are a tiny, tiny fragment of our eternity, which is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've looked at in what way is the good shepherd good? And how can we be sure we can trust him? And finally and briefly, how do you respond to him, the good shepherd? Verses 19 to 21. I don't know whether it struck you as uh, Kelly read us those verses earlier on. But Jesus always gets a reaction, doesn't he? He did then. When, the, when John's gospel was written, he does today when you speak to people. 
He creates division. We see it in those verses there. Then, at those words, the Jews were again divided. Verse 19. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Do you remember how just earlier on he'd healed that blind man? The point is Jesus is divisive. He demands that we respond to him in some way. You can't be neutral about a character like Jesus. I wonder if you've heard this well-known quote from C.S. Lewis. He, was, he wrote this in his amazing book, Mere Christianity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That, says Lewis, is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. Stark words, aren't they? Challenging words. How do you react to Jesus? I wonder whether there's somebody here who uh, you would say, I'm not quite sure about this Christianity thing, yeah? I'm not sure about Jesus. I don't think I've heard the call of the Good Shepherd or responded to him. I wonder whether you'd be willing this morning to put aside your fears and doubts and uncertainties. After all, none of us has all of the answers. And perhaps make today the day you make the choice to hear the call of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, beckoning you through the gate and into his sheepfold. Um, if that is you, do come and have a chat to me afterwards. I'd love to talk more with you about that. And for the Christian here this morning, those of you who are sure of these things, you know that you are part of the Lord's sheepfold. I hope that you will be taking great comfort and joy and peace from the certainty that this Jesus is truly good. He's not the average shepherd. He's not the okay shepherd. He's not the just all right shepherd who does his best. He is the good shepherd, entirely trustworthy. So while the circumstances in the world are terrifying at the moment, while horror unfolds in Ukraine with all sorts of 
things that we don't even really want to think about. Or as more local crises queue up at your door with difficulties and painful challenges, you can face them with a sure and certain knowledge that you are secure in the sheepfold of the Good Shepherd for all eternity. And let that glorious truth flow out from you as you witness to the great joy that you have in Christ, speaking to others of him, that those outside the fold may also hear the voice of Christ calling them to go in through the gate. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Father God, we thank you that Jesus is the good shepherd. That Jesus is the one we can utterly trust with complete confidence. Because he is the good shepherd. And because you gave him the sheep to care for through all eternity. Father, I pray for those of us who aren't yet sure about these things that you would Speak clearly, calling each one of those into your sheepfold this morning. Enabling them by your spirit to respond to that call. And for those who know and trust you already, Lord, I pray that these truths may give great confidence in the face of great difficulties. Strengthen our faith and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our beautiful good shepherd, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.